Okay. So, where can I find my muscarinic receptor? On my sweat glands and where else? My effector organs of which nervous system? Parasympathetic. Good. Where can I find my nicotinic receptor? And and my and my and ends. I will find them at my postganglionic neuron or the synapse or the ganglion of which nervous system? Both. Good. All right. So we talked about nicotinic and muscarinic before the break. Okay. We talked about the nicotinic receptor being inotropic and your muscarinic being a G-protein type of receptor. Okay? Now we've got parasympathetic vasodilation, and that's endothelial-derived, and it generates nitric oxide. So what happens is you've got your acetylcholine, and your acetylcholine is going to bind your M3 receptor, which is then going to trigger the formation of nitric oxide, and your nitric oxide is then going to bind to this calcium-dependent potassium channel, and it's going to, or, or it's going to freely diffuse, and it's going to upregulate the formation of cyclic JMP for relaxation. And once this process is finished and is no longer required, your cyclic AMP, your cyclic GMP, I'm sorry, your cyclic GMP gets broken down to 3,5 GMP. However, there's a drug on the market that can prevent this: sildenafil. Do we know what sildenafil is? The blue pill. And so, oh yeah. So, your sildenafil in this case is going to help you, or not me, but help men, <laughs> not break down the cyclic GMP into 3,5 GMP, keep the cyclic GMP up, to allow for relaxation to occur and for erection to stay longer. Yes, there you go. We got somebody very excited about sildenafil. So now, which of the following is going to best? <laughs> Y'all are funny. All right. So now, which one best describes my postganglionic sympathetic nerves? Did we get this one 100%? No. Ye of little faith. No. All right. 
Let's see. Good. So the sympathetic nerve, the postganglionic neuron of the sympathetic nerve is going to release acetylcholine at the sweat glands. Lacrimal glands are stimulated by which? Parasympathetic. Originate from the vagus nerve? Parasympathetic. Always release norepinephrine as a neurotransmitter, true or false? False. Okay. All right. So that was our cholinergic system. Nicotinic receptors, muscarinic receptors. Now let's look at our adrenergic system. Adrenergic system, again, we will have acetylcholine that's released by our preganglionic neuron to bind to our N2 receptor. And of course, we'll have our catecholamines, norepinephrine, that will be released to bind to our alpha and beta, except for our sweat glands. But the adrenergics are going to involve catecholamine release and your alpha and beta receptor. Now, our adrenergic receptors, again, found in the effector organs that are stimulated by your sympathetic nervous system, and they're activated by your catecholamines. Norepinephrine directly from your postganglionic neuron, and then uh, longer or later acting um, through your epinephrine that gets released by your adrenal medulla. And you've got two types of receptors. You've got your alphas and you've got your betas. And they're broken down into further subtypes, alpha-1 and alpha-2, beta-1 and beta-2. And again, remember, each receptor, each type is going to have a different mechanism of action. And they're going to elicit a different response depending on where they are. Beta-1s in the heart are going to increase contractility, increase heart rate. But beta-1s in the kidney is going to increase renin. Okay. Beta-1s in the adipose tissue, they're going to increase lipolysis. So depending on where the receptors are, they're going to elicit a different physiological res response. And so again, be reminded that they're tissue-specific, cell-type-specific. So even though the mechanism is the same, that doesn't necessarily mean the response is going to be the same. So all catecholamines are synthesized from tyrosine. And tyrosine is, again, co-transported with sodium. And tyrosine then is taken up into the neuron. And, of course, it has the tyrosine hydroxylase, which is that rate-limiting enzyme. The tyrosine hydroxylase is needed for tyrosine to be converted to L-DOPA. And your dopamine is formed from your L-DOPA through your L-amino acid decarboxylase. And the dopamine is then taken up into uh, a vesicle by VMAT. And VMAT is your vesicular monoamine transporter. And what it does is it uses an H gradient from the HATPase. And it, does, it takes the norepinephrine and condenses it with ATP. Now, within the vesicle is where you get the formation of your norepinephrine because you have the dopamine beta-hydroxylase enzyme in this vesicle. Now, that's the formation of norepinephrine, and that vesicle can then be excitosed into the synapse. But if you're in the adrenal medulla and you want to continue on and make epinephrine, then you would need the phenylethanolamine and methyltransferase enzyme to convert your norepinephrine to epinephrine. Okay? But we've got our norepinephrine, and again, just like in any other um, neuron, you have calcium-dependent exocytosis of the vesicle, and then you've got your norepinephrine, but it's co-released with ATP into the synapse. And your norepinephrine is going to interact, again, with your 
pre- or post-synaptic alpha and beta receptors. Now, remember when we were looking at the cholinergic neuron, we noticed that there was a nicotinic receptor on the presynaptic neuron and or a muscarinic receptor on the presynaptic neuron, which could act as positive or negative feedbacks to affect the release of acetylcholine. Well, we have that on the adrenergic presynaptic neuron. And that receptor is your alpha-2s. Okay? So you have an alpha-2 receptor that is located on your presynaptic neuron or your postganglionic neuron that will act as a negative feedback. So your alpha-2s are going to bind the norepinephrine and turn off norepinephrine. So it's going to reduce the release of norepinephrine into the synapse. Okay. And so here, you'll have your norepinephrine that gets released to bind your effector organ, or it can bind to this presynaptic alpha-2 receptor that will then feed back and prevent the exocytosis of your norepinephrine. So this is just the synthesis of epinephrine and norepinephrine. But just like your acetylcholine, where we had our acetylcholine esterase that terminates the acetylcholine response, well, you have to have the same thing with your catecholamines because you cannot keep your catecholamines binding to your alphas and betas. And so there are three different ways, well, four really, if you count diffusion, but four different ways that your norepinephrine can terminate or the response can be terminated. The first one is reuptake into the presynaptic neuron. So if we go back to this picture, you'll see here on the presynaptic neuron that there is a co-transporter, sodium co-transport with norepinephrine that will allow for the uptake of norepinephrine back into the cytosol of the neuron. Okay? And that can happen. It can be taken back up and within the cell, be deaminated by MAO, the mitochondrial monoamine oxidase, and the MAO will break it down into metabolites. So you can have that deamination occurring. You can have your norepinephrine be taken up at the effector organ, and it can be degraded within that organ by MAO there, or COMP-T, which is mainly found in the liver and that's your catecholomethyltransferase. And then again, those metabolites can then be um, excreted. You can have simple diffusion. The norepinephrine just floats away and, and hopefully um, you know, does its thing elsewhere. Or you can have vesicular uptake. Again, it can be taken up by NET, the NE sodium co-transport, and then it can be stored back in your VMAT, your vesicular, your vesicle, and then it can be recycled for release again. So here, this slide is just basically showing that there are various isoforms of MAO, and that depending on what your neurotransmitter is, your MAO-A works better on norepinephrine and dopamine than tyramine, but MAO-B works better on dopamine than it does norepinephrine. It's just various isoforms, and that your COMT is expressed in the liver. So let's look at our adrenoreceptors. So again, we've got different subtypes. We've got our alphas and we've got our betas. And our alpha-1 receptor is G-protein linked. You've got your GDP that's bound to the alpha subset, your alpha uh, subunit, which is what's 
the important portion of your receptor once again. And again, the GDP is bound to that alpha subunit, then you have an inactive receptor. But when you have norepinephrine bound to the receptor, your alpha subunit now is bound by GTP. Phospholipase C is then upregulated in the formation of DAGN IP3, calcium, and protein kinase C, and then you get your physiological actions. Same thing happens with your beta receptors. Same premise, except instead of phospholipase C, you've got adenylase cyclase, adenylylcyclase, and then you get the upregulation of cyclic AMP. So alpha-1 is going to have a mechanism of IP3, an increase in calcium through IP3 and DAG. Your beta, both betas, 1 and 2, are going to have the same mechanism where they're going to upregulate your cyclic AMP. This chart, you see this chart? Love this chart. Circle it, star it, highlight it in red. Make it your friend. This chart is very, very, very important. This chart is very, very good in helping you understand where your receptors are, what your receptors will do when they're stimulated, and the mechanism, how they allow for the physiological effect to occur. So if we break it down, let's take our alpha-1. Now, alpha-1s are going to be bound by our catecholamines, norepinephrine, and alpha-1s don't particularly like to generalize, but you'll find that alpha-1s are more involved with constriction and contraction. So if you look at vascular smooth muscle, and when I say vascular smooth muscle, I'm talking about the smooth muscle of the blood vessels that run through the skeletal muscle, the skin, and the splanchnic vessels. So the blood vessels, the, uh, the smooth muscles of the vasculature that run through the skin, splanchnic, and the skeletal muscles are all they all have alpha-1. Now, one thing you have to be mindful of, okay, one thing you have to be mindful of is you can have organs that have more than one receptor subset. Oh, for sure. You're going to have muscarinic for the parasympathetic um, counteraction. You're going to have uh, alphas or betas. And you may have alpha and beta. You can have more than one subset of a receptor on an organ or cell type, but you will find that a particular organ or cell type is going to have a predominant receptor type. And that predominant receptor type is what's going to allow for the effects to be the dominant effect on that particular organ. So you'll find alpha-1s in the vascular smooth muscle of the skin, splanchnic vessels, and the skeletal muscles. So we're going to find constriction. That's going to allow for blood vessel constriction. The gastrointestinal and bladder sphincters, if you want to contract those sphincters and close them up, alpha-1s are going to be involved in that. And the radial muscle of the eye, which is going to allow for constriction, contraction, that is uh, regulated by our alpha-1s. Okay? And then, of course, the mechanism of action is going to be to increase our intracellular calcium through DAG and IP3. Alpha-2s alpha can be found on the presynaptic neuron, and that will act as the negative feedback to reduce the release of norepinephrine. Alpha-2s can also be found on the GI tract wall, which will allow relaxation of the wall. 
And just like its alpha-1 counterparts, it can also be found on some arteries and veins, and it will allow for constriction as well. So the alpha-1s are mainly involved in constriction of your vasculature, but you'll find some alpha-2s that can do it the job as well. Okay? And they now have a different mechanism of action where they are inhibitory through the reduction of cyclic AMP. Beta-1s. Now, this is what makes up your heart. Now, this is going to be important for increasing heart rate, increasing contractility, um, and it's going to be find, you're going to find these in your um, salivary glands. However, your salivary glands are mainly going to be controlled by your parasympathetics. When you have the beta-1 stimulating your salivary glands, it's not to generate the saliva that we know that has the enzymes that are going to break down your food. This is a different kind of saliva, very mucus-rich, very, very thick. And so this one doesn't really happen that often. The beta-1s really don't generate the saliva that we normally are accustomed to knowing. That's more your muscarinic uh, parasympathetic stimulation. Um, but they put this here because you do generate a mucus-thick type of sal salivation. But your M's, your muscarinics, are responsible for the saliva that we use um, to digest our food. Adipose tissue, beta-1s. Um, you've got those that are going to be involved in lipolysis. And what's important to note is not just beta-1s. You can have beta-2s and beta-3s that are involved in lipolysis, but beta-1s are the predominant receptor that you'll find in the adipose tissue that will be predominantly responsible for lipolysis. You'll also find beta-1s in the kidney, and they're going to upregulate renin, which is going to also allow for the regulation of blood volume, blood pressure, Right? It's going to allow for the reabsorption of sodium and help reabsorb water, get that blood volume, blood pressure back up. Okay. All of that is done by the upregulation of cyclic AMP. So, is, so are the beta-2s. They work by upregulating cyclic AMP as well. But again, they're located in completely different organs and they are allowing for different things. You've got your vascular smooth muscle of the skeletal muscle. So, only the skeletal muscle, the blood vessels of the skeletal muscle will have alpha-1s and beta-2s. So in order to relax the vasculature, uh, the vascular smooth muscle within the skeletal muscle, you have your beta-2s that will allow for relaxation. Constriction is alpha-1 and relaxation is beta-2s just for the skeletal muscle. So for those vasculature, the, the vascular smooth muscle, within the skin and the splanchnic, constriction will occur via our alpha-1s, but if you want to relax them, you have to reduce the response of the alpha-1s. So remove that trigger of the alpha-1s, block the alpha-1 response. Okay? And then you've got your GI tract wall. You'll get relaxation of the GI tract wall. The bladder, the detrusor muscle of the bladder, in order for filling to occur, you've got the relaxation of that occurring through your beta-2s, and the bronchioles. Relaxation allowing for um, bronchodilation and allowing the airways to open. The uterine, uterus, relaxation of the uterus, gluconeogenesis, glycogenolysis, glycogenolysis and again, beta-2s can be involved in lipolysis, but beta-1s are really the, the dominant ones. So again, you can see that the beta-1s, beta-2s are doing completely different things, but their mechanism of action is the same. 
you got your nicotinic receptors again. We've got our, those are your ionotropic receptors, and those are found, again, in the skeletal muscle, the motor end plate. All postganglionic neurons in both your SNS and your PNS, and on the medrino medulla. And then you've got your M, your muscarinics, which are all effector organs of the PNS, and on the sweat glands. Okay? And again, remember, it's the receptor in the particular tissue type, cell type, that are going to elicit a specific response. All right, so let's look at our bladder. So here again, this again plays to you know, the fact that a particular organ can have more than one receptor subtype on it. So your bladder is like a balloon. It's nice and limp when it's empty, and then it gets nice and full and when, it, when it's full. And during filling and during micturition, you've got both of your nervous systems involved in that process. So when you want to fill your bladder, now first of all, you've got a couple of muscles you've got to get um, that you have to be mindful of. You've got your detrusor uh, muscle, which is kind of like the balloon portion, and you've got your sphincters. So now if I want to fill my bladder, I want to be able to do what to my detrusor muscle? Do I want my detrusor muscle contracted or relaxed? I want to relax it. It has to be like a balloon, nice and relaxed to allow for the expansion to occur. And so that receptor that's going to be um, stimulated to allow for the relaxation is going to be my beta 2s. Okay, my beta 2s are for relaxation. So the beta 2 is going to be found on your detrusor muscle. Now I've got an internal sphincter. Uh, do I want my internal sphincter to be wide open while I'm filling up my bladder? No, that would not be clean. So what do you want your sphincter to do while you're filling up your detrusor? You want it to be constricted. And so you would expect which uh, receptor, alpha-beta receptor, to do that constriction. You would want your alpha-1s, okay? So you've got your beta-2 receptors on the detrusor muscle that are responsible for relaxing the detrusor muscle while you've got constriction of that sphincter to allow for the urine to stay in the actual balloon. And so your, your sympathetics are responsible for the filling portion of the bladder. Okay? Now when you're ready to empty your bladder, now what do you want to do? Well, you want to, what do you want to do to your detrusor muscle? You want to contract it, and what do you want to do to your internal sphincter? You want to relax it. Now your muscarinic receptors are going to be responsible for doing both those things. So you will have, in addition to your beta-2 and your alpha-1, muscarinic receptors that are going to do the opposite um, through the parasympathetic nervous system stimulation. And so the muscarinic receptors are going to be responsible for contracting your detrusor while relaxing your sphincter to allow for micturition to occur. So emptying of the bladder is a parasympathetically controlled um, activity, whereas filling of the bladder is controlled via your beta-2 and alpha-1s, which is your sympathetic nervous system. Now, we've also got an external sphincter, because I hear, you know, some people say, well, when, when you know when you're scared and you're really scared, you kind of just pee yourself. How does that happen if it's parasympathetic? What happens is you have an external uh, sphincter, which is made out of uh, skeletal muscle, so that's voluntary. And so sometimes we know you need to, to pee and you can't go and you kind of do the little dance and you're squeezing and you're holding. That's what you use, that's what you're squeezing and you're holding until you are able to get to the washroom to expel the urine. And so that is voluntary. And so this external sphincter is going to be contracted 
or relax voluntarily to allow for micturition to actually occur. But the reflexive activity that's not under our control is filling via sympathetics and the uh, desire to expel and the action of actually expelling um, through your parasympathetic. All right, any questions? Any questions? No? All right, moving right along. So we saw this already uh, before the break, um, the, the, how our acetylcholine gets formed. And then we've got our nicotinic that can act as a negative feedback, uh, a positive feedback, sorry. It can stimulate more acetylcholine, as can an M3. Or you can have an M2 that will cause a negative feedback. And depending on which effector organ you're in, whether it be nicotinic, muscarinic, um, you'll have the binding of your receptors with your acetylcholine. Here again is our adrenergic neurons, which we've already seen. And this chart that you have seen, right? We want to be starring this one, highlighting this one. All right. So our alpha-1 receptors. So we know our alpha-1 receptors are mainly responsible for what? What is it? Constriction and contraction. Constriction and contraction. So we've got contraction of our smooth muscle. Yeah. I got two girls sleeping over there. Are you guys awake? Hi. You with me? I know. It's, it's, I know. <laughs> I feel you. I was wondering if I was really that boring. It's kind of giving me a complex up here. It's all good. I'm just playing with y'all. I know, right? Okay, so it's constriction and contraction. So it constricts our blood vessels. Um, and it will increase our total peripheral resistance, right? And it will also allow for contracting our radial muscle in the iris so that our pupils can now dilate and again for ejaculation. Our alpha-2s, now our alpha-2s again, very interesting subset because they can do a plethora of different things. They can act on the presynaptic neuron to decrease norepinephrine release, and they can also act on the GI tract wall to relax the wall, and then they can also act on your veins and certain arteries to also allow for constriction. And they also act on your beta cells of the pancreas. And what they'll do is they'll reduce your insulin release. So your alpha-2s, I like alpha-2s. I think alpha-2s are my favorite receptors because they do so many different things. And they act in so many different places, right? Questions? Comments? No? Oh. Beta-1s. Very important for the heart. Contractility. Increasing the heart rate. Okay, so they're chronotropic, um, and they allow for lipolysis. Again, you can be have beta-2s and beta-3s involved in lipolysis, but it's majorly your beta-1s. And again, in the kidney for renin release to help increase blood volume and blood pressure, blood pressure through the increase of aldosterone um, and angiotensin for vasoconstriction. Beta-2s, relaxation, bronchodilation, uterine relaxation, bladder filling. Again, lipolysis glycogenolysis, um, gluconeogen glucogenolysis, so breaking down the glycogen into glucose, 
Okay, so all of these uh, metabolic effects can happen via your beta-2 receptors. So here again, you can see lipolysis can be beta-2s or beta-3s, but mainly your beta-1s. And you can have the formation of glucose from your glycogen breakdown in the liver through beta-2s. Your alpha-2s are going to reduce your, your insulin release from your beta cells, and you have glycogenolysis in the muscles. So all of this is to make energy available so that you can fight or flee. So our alpha-1s, mechanism of action, increase in IP3 DAG, upregulation of your calcium. Betas 1 and 2, increasing your cyclic AMP. Alpha-2s is decreasing your cyclic AMP. Okay. Um, and your beta-3 is also the increase of your cyclic AMP. And again, here's where you'll find them, okay. um, most of your effectors. So alpha-1, stimulatory, IP3 increase, DAG increase, increase in calcium, um, contraction, constriction. Alpha-2s is inhibitory. It will reduce your cyclic AMP. It will allow for the opening of your potassium to hyperpolarize your membrane and closing calcium channels to release your norepinephrine. So again, depending on which cell and which tissue it in, um, you can see any of these three uh, pathways occurring. Okay. Beta-1s, increasing your cyclic AMP. Here again, your beta-2s are very interesting because again, depending on where it is, you'll see um, combination of a pathway. So for our, for beta-2s, you'll find an increase in this pathway. You'll see the increase in your cyclic AMP. But in the lung, in addition to this normal pathway, you'll also see the opening of calcium-induced potassium, which is going to also depolarize the membrane. And the two of them so the, decrease in your, uh, the increase in your cyclic AMP, which is going to decrease your calcium, increase your protein kinase A, increase your myosin light chase phosphatase activity. Right? The combination of increasing that myosin light chase phosphatase activity plus the membrane hyperpolarization, both of those together are going to allow for the bronchodilation to occur. That's how the smooth muscle process occurs in the lung. So here again, we'll see in the eye how we have our receptors working together. So in the, again, can have organs that have more than one receptor type. So in the eye, your radial muscle will be constricted through our alpha-1, but the ciliary muscle will be relaxed both of which together is going to allow for the pupils to be dilated. Again, bronchodilation is via your beta-2s. Heart, beta-1s, right? Increase of heart rate and force of contraction. The GI tract wall relaxation is through your beta-2s. Um, you can put your alpha-2s in there as well. And the sphincters are constricted by alpha-1s. Our renin is released triggered by the beta-1, and the detrusor is beta-2, while the sphincter is alpha-1, 
And then within the reproductive tract, the vast deference, the vast deference in the male for ejaculation can be triggered by our alpha one, and then the uterus is relaxed via our beta twos. So when we look at our muscarinic receptors, again, our muscarinic receptors can also generate an excitatory and an inhibitory response. So our M2s, M2s are found in the heart. That's what's in the SA node. So when you want to reduce the heart rate and you stimulate your M2s, you reduce the cyclic AMP and open up the potassium channels. So it's your M2 via an inhibitory response that's going to allow for the reduction in the heart rate. Our M3s, those are everything in the non-vascular smooth muscle, and those are going to be uh, stimulated via IP3 and DAG, upregulate of your calcium. These are the ones that we mainly look at, the M2s and M3. M1s, M5, not so much, because the M1s and M5s are more CNS-related, and we're dealing more with... Um, the M3s and M2s. So again, cardiac and your salivation, sweat glands, vasodilation, bronchoconstriction, uh, all of these things. Okay. So we looked at how the sympathetics will stimulate our alphas and betas to generate a response. But if we want to antagonize that response or we've got muscarinic agonists that are stimulating our M's, this is what's going to happen. We're going to get uh, meiosis, which is constriction of our pupil, through the stimulation of our M3s. So our ciliary and our circular muscles are now going to constrict, and that's going to cause pupillary constriction. So that's going to accommodate for near vision. It's going to constrict so you can see better. <clears throat> We've got our nasal and our lacrimal and our nasal secretions. You've got bronchioles, so the lungs. So if I stimulate my M receptors, what's going to happen to my bronchioles? I should see what? Bronco? Bronco? You don't sound too sure. Bronco constriction. And if I want to dilate my bronchioles, what do I stimulate? Beta 2s, right. So to dilate, I'll stimulate my sympathetics, beta 2s, but to constrict, my M's are going to get stimulated. Okay? And then if I want to reduce my heart rate now, my M2s get stimulated and everything goes down. But if I want to increase my gastric motility, gastric secretions, I stimulate my M3s. Okay? That's going to relax the sphincters and contract the GI tract walls. The bladder, again, with the detrusor and the, inter the internal sphincter, the M's are going to trigger that. Um, contraction and relaxation. And for erection, the M3s and our nitric oxide will play a role in that. Okay. This chart, you see this chart? Barely. It's very washed out, actually. I didn't realize that. But you have it in front of you, right? Got to make it your friend. Star it, highlight it, circle in red. This chart is also very important. And what I like about this chart and what you're going to find very helpful with this chart is that it nicely aligns the sympathetic response and the muscarinic response. And where there isn't any, as you can see here, the vascular smooth muscle in the splanchnic and um, in the endothelia, in the skin and the splanchnic, you'll see there's no parasympathetic effects. 
If you look further down in the lacrimal gland, there's only a parasympathetic effect, but no sympathetic respect, uh, response. Just as you'll see in the liver, adipose, and kidney, it's only sympathetic, but there's no parasympathetic. And then it nicely aligns muscle um, the, the, in the bladder, what the sympathetic stimulation would be versus the parasympathetic stimulation, what it would be. Okay? So um, this is a nice little graph or a nice little chart to nicely align both your parasympathetic and sympathetic on the same chart. All right. So you have a drug agonist selectively binds to your B2. What will happen? Why is nothing happening? Que pasó? Okay. What is going to increase my heart contractility? Beta 1s. So 1, 2 is incorrect. Bronchoconstriction. If I agonize my beta 2s, what will I see? Bronchodilation. Bladder contraction. What's going to contract? What are beta 2s responsible on the bladder? Bladder relaxation. They're going to allow for the filling, not contraction. And penile erection, point and shoot. Erection is going to be controlled by parasympathetics. So glycogenolysis is going to be controlled by our beta 2s. Now what if I switched this uh, question around and I said a drug antagonist that binds to beta 2s? Which answer would then be correct? three would then be correct. Because if it antagonizes the dilatory effects, you would expect to see bronchoconstriction. Okay. Next one.
Okay, so what receptor am I talking about? Which receptor am I referring to in this question? My nicotinic. It's the receptor that's on the postganglionic cell. And so, what do we know that it does? How does it act? It opens sodium. Hmm. What about this one? So activation of your M receptor on the SA node, what's that going to do? So, which receptor are we talking about here? Which muscarinic receptor? M2 on the SI, SA node. And the M2 on the SA node, is it stimulatory or inhibitory? Inhibitory. And it does so by decreasing cyclic AMP. And when it does that, what then does it do? It opens your potassium channels, all right? Next one. Yeah. So if we block the M3, so you have to know what the M3s do. So what's our mechanism of action for our M3s? They're excitatory. And what's their, way of what's their mechanism of action? So they're excitatory by way of increasing... DAG IP3. So if we were to block 
our M3 receptors, what would you expect to see happen? Reduced formation of your DAG and IP3. Yeah. Questions? Comments? Question. Can I go back to which one? Question before the last one. This one? Why is it? Why is it not? Five. Because the muscarinic receptor 2, its mechanism of action is to reduce cyclic AMP. And in reducing the cyclic AMP, it increases potassium. So your SA node is not going to reduce the heart rate and the contractility of the heart rate by taking calcium back up into the sarcoplasmic radiculum. That can, that, also you have to remember that in the heart, you don't really have a well-defined sarcoplasmic reticulum, and a lot of the calcium comes from extracellular, right? Because you have EC, extracellular-induced calcium uh, uh, contraction. So that's not totally correct, you see? That's not what's going to... Um, well, first of all, that's not the mechanism of action for the receptor A, right? But that is not also going to be what's involved in reducing the heart rate as well. You have to have not only the reuptake in the sarcoplasmic reticulum, but the reduction of the calcium from the extracellular as well. So it's a combined process. Yeah. Okay. But the mechanism of action for your M2s is through your cyclic AMP reduction and the opening of potassium. Yeah. All right, so we looked today at our various receptors and where they're located. So we have on our postganglionic neuron, what receptor? Which receptor on our postganglionic neuron? Nicotinic. Um, does it matter if it's SNS or, or PNS? Not at all. What about on my sweat gland? What's the receptor on my sweat gland? Muscarinic, and what's the receptor on my heart? You have to ask me a very important question. Sympathetic or parasympathetic? So on my heart for parasympathetic. M2s. What about sympathetic? B1. What about um, the receptor on my bladder sphincter? Via my sympathetic nervous system. It would be my alpha ones. What would I find parasympathetic on my bronchioles? Which one would it be? Parasympathetic on my bronchioles, M3. Sympathetics, beta 2s, right. All right. So, little, you're, you're getting there. Yeah, you're doing good. You're getting there. You're getting there. Considering we're just working through it, you're getting there. So here again, 
Our friend, star it highlighted, circle in in red. Star it highlighted, circle in in red. You will see these, I guarantee you. So I'm telling you now that you will see things off this chart and this chart on your exam. So it is within your best interest to love these two charts. Yeah? I know if you're not a chart person, I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah? Any questions so far? Any comments so far? Hold on, we got a question. What's the question? Yes. In the bladder, our parasympathetic nervous system uses M3 on both trigone and our detrusor. Yes. Again, remember, what did we say about the receptors and their locations? They do different things depending on where they are and what tissue specific and cell specific. So on the sphincter, the M3 will do the same thing. It will do something different than that on the detrusor because of where they're located. Yeah? All right. I'll see you in 10.